Book 6, Chapter 31, Part 2 of Marie Antoinette and Her Son. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Marie Antoinette and Her Son by Louise Mulbach. Fouché. Bonaparte laughed aloud, but his laughter sounded like a threat. I have heard of this story, he said. The good-natured Kleber believed it, and after his death a paper was given to me, written by him and directed to me, which stated that his so-called nephew Louis was the heir of the King of France and implored me earnestly to take the orphan of the temple under my protection. I instituted inquiries for him at once. It was after the Battle of Marengo, and this Monsieur Louis was, till then, adjutant of General Dussex. Yes, General Adjutant of Dussex, down to the Battle of Marengo, that is, to the death of Dussex. If I mistake not, his adjutant was wounded in the battle and lay at the hospital in Alessandria. It is so, General. I wonder how closely you have been informed respecting the fortunes of the young man. From that time all trace of him has been lost, and all my inquiries have proved in vain. The adjutant of Dussex, who fought so bravely and who bore my dying comrade in his arms, deserved advancement, and I wanted to give it to him, and therefore searched for him, but in vain. I believed him dead, and now you come and tell me about a conspiracy in favour of Louis the Seventeenth. This young pretender is still alive, then, and there are childlike souls who believe his story, are there? General, he says little, for he is very silent and reticent, but he has testimonials which speak for him, and which show that his story is not an idle tale, but a fragment of history. His papers give clear and undeniable evidence of his lineage and the course of his life. I should like to see these papers once, said the consul. He never let them go out of his hands, for he knows very well that they are his security for a crown. Then bring me the man himself, and then I shall have him and his papers, said Bonaparte with a growl like a lion's. Is not he the head of the conspiracy? Yes, General, the head of a conspiracy which I have conducted because I meant to have all the threads in my hands if I was to see clearly. In order to prove the royalists, I threw them this bait and many of them have taken who can come over to the young king. In this way, I have made a division in the ranks of the royalists and the Count de Lille already sees the consequences. The so-called orphan of the temple has at this hour no enemy who hates him more than the Count de Lille. But this enmity of the Count de Lille vanishes like a glowworm in the darkness. I want tangible proofs by which I can arrest my enemies. Can you give them to me? General, it will not be difficult to do this. We will speak of it hereafter. Allow me first a word about this dangerous adjutant of Dussex, Colonel Louis. You said, General, that you made futile efforts to gain information about this interesting and brave young man. Those efforts were made in the years when Monsieur Rene d'Angely was chief of police, in which my enemies succeeded in withdrawing the confidence of the First Consul from me. But had I been chief of police at that time, I should have been able to tell you that the young man whom you were seeking, and respecting whom you obtained no information, was living here in Paris. What? cried Bonaparte in amazement. This so-called Louis the Seventeenth in Paris, then? Jean-Paul, he is still here. He has been living in Paris for about four years, about as long as Monsieur Regnier has been head of police. And Regnier has told me nothing about it. Has he not known that so dangerous a person was living in Paris? 
Fouché shrugged his shoulders. Monsieur Renier, who doubts the existence of secret societies in France and tells you that the assassins who have so often of late imperiled your life have all been sent hither from foreign parts by the pretenders to the crown, and that there are no conspirators in France. Monsieur Renier could not, of course, know the head of this secret society. He left them to follow their own pleasures unhindered here in Paris. But I know them. And I give you my word of honour, General, that the so-called nephew of Kleber is living here in Paris. Directly after his arrival he came to me, and I handed to him the papers and documents which Dussex entrusted to me, and which I had solemnly sworn to deliver to his adjutant Louis. The young man gave me his confidence, and when I spoke to him regretfully and with enthusiasm about his father and his mother, and addressed him as His Majesty, I won his love. He opened his heart to me, confessed that he was Louis the Seventeenth, and asked my counsel and help. I promised him both, and showed myself to him in a very compliant and devoted mood. My first counsel was that he should live incognito under a borrowed name. In order that this might be possible, I gave him the name for his incognito, and had all the necessary documents prepared, the certificate of his birth, baptism, the marriage of his parents, and the will of his relatives. And all of these documents were false and forged, said Bonaparte in amazement. There are everywhere pliable public officials in France, replied Fouché with a smile. I did not content myself with procuring for my protégé the papers which ensured him an honourable name, respectable family position and a life without care. I did much more for him. I followed the efforts already related with others. I had a certificate of the death of Monsieur Louis prepared so as to give him a passport out of life. In order to protect himself from every injury, I told him that he, as the adjutant of two sex, must pass as died. He approved of it, and I took the pains to procure from the hospital at Alessandria a duly signed and sealed certificate that Colonel Louis, the adjutant of General Dussex, died of his wounds there. Good God! cried Bonaparte. Is everything in life to be bought and sold thus? Yes, General, everything, loyalty and love, life and death. I have caused the son of the King of France to die and then rise again, and all with gold. But when the certificate arrived, a change had occurred in my relations. I had been removed from office, and Renier was my successor. I kept the certificate in my possession, but in order to secure my protégé against what might befall me in case of my death, I wrote to him that I had received the papers and that he would live without danger in Paris under his assumed name. This letter I signed with my whole name and set my seal to it, that in case of need it might be of service to him. Fouché, you are a sly fox, said Bonaparte with a laugh. Tis easier to get out of the way of a cannonball than out of your snares. One might say to you, in the words of the King of Prussia, God defend me from my friends, from my enemies I can defend myself. According to this, you have caused Colonel Louis to die for friendship's sake and rise again under another name. Yes, General, that is it. Colonel Louis, that is the rightful King Louis the Seventeenth, is a tool in my hands, which I hold as a check to all parties, and which I can hold up or withdraw according as it pleases me. At present, my game is not merely to bring disunion and hatred into the ranks of the royalists, but to bring over many Republicans who have a soft heart, to be zealous partisans of the young and unfortunate king. And afterward, said Bonaparte with a sterner tone, you might make use of this instrument to intimidate that fourth party of which you spoke before, the Bonapartists. But you have been mistaken, Fouché. 
This reckoning does not do. Your cunning has overreached itself. You do not terrify me. And if it could really happen that the French nation should offer me an imperial crown, at the same time that I should accept it, I should put my foot on the neck of all rebels and pretenders. With a single tread I would crush them all. I want no parties, no political factions. I want to bring all these risings and agitations to silence. There shall be no secret societies in France. And against each and every conspirator, whatever his rank may be, I will bring from this time forth the whole weight of the law. Mark this, Fouché. I mean to make an end of all parties. And only when you shall give their chiefs into my hand, not for my personal vengeance, for I cherish no vengeance against those cowardly worms of conspirators, but for the righteous punishment and retaliatory laws of France. Only when you are able, by one grand coup and one well-founded charge, to destroy all conspiracies and bring all secret coalitions to the light, only then shall you become chief of police. Only then will the future emperor give you the title of duke. Jean, I will build on your word, and I am sure of becoming chief of police and duke. You will put an end to all conspiracies. And to the Monsieur Louis too, said Bonaparte eagerly, "'tis a disagreeable and troublesome figure. So long as he lives, he would live in the ermine of the imperial cloak, like a troublesome insect which always stings and pricks. One must not allow such insects to find their way into his fur, and this Monsieur Louis must be put out of the way once for all. I hope he has entered deeply enough into the conspiracy not to come out of it again with a whole skin. Jean Rel, I have told you already that the day before yesterday his dependents saluted him in a secret gathering as their king. It is true indeed that the poor little fellow strongly opposed it and obstinately refused to accept all honours, but the fact remains unchanged. And on the ground of this fact shall he be apprehended, cried Bonaparte with a threatening voice. There must be an example made, and this Louis is a suitable person for it. He must be the bête de souffrance for all the rest. He is the head of a conspiracy. We will crush this head and the limbs will fall of themselves. Besides the sensitive souls who love nurses' stories and believe in everything, there will be no one who will weep for him. No one will lament his death, but he will be a warning to all. Direct yourself to this Fouché and set all the infernal machines of your intrigues in operation that we will put an end to a conspiracy. General, only one thing is wanting. It is that I be at the head of the police and have the power in my hands to make my infernal machines effectual. But I have told you that I will appoint you as minister only when you give me incontrovertible proofs that your conspiracies are not the fabric of your own fantasy. Very well, Jean. Now that we are one, I am prepared to give you these proofs. I have told you that the royalists and republicans have united for the purpose of taking your life. They have chosen fifty men by ballot in foreign parts who are to come to Paris and accomplish here the great work of your destruction. These fifty assassins have arrived in Paris, and their chief men had an interview yesterday with the chiefs of the conspiracies here. Fouché, cried Bonaparte with a threatening voice, think well what you are saying. You are playing for the stake of your own head. If these fifty assassins are creatures of your own imagination, it is you who will have to pay for it. These fifty men have been in Paris since the day before yesterday, rejoined Fouché quietly. They came hither by different roads and appearing like simple travellers, and yesterday they had their first interview with the chief of the Republican Party. Who is this chief? Name him, or I will call you a liar and impostor. 
This chief, said Fouché slowly and measuring every word, this chief is uh, Jérôme Moreau. Bonaparte uttered a low cry, an ashy paleness suffused his cheeks. He pressed his lips together and his eyes flamed out such darts of rage that even Fouché trembled and lowered his gaze. Moreau, muttered Bonaparte after a long pause. Moreau, a conspirator, a traitor. Moreau in an alliance with assassins whom the royalists are sending out against me. I knew very well that he was my enemy, but I did not think that his enmity would lead him to be a murderer. He walked up and down with quick steps, his hands folded behind his back, then stopped short before Fouché and looked him full in the face. Fouché, do you abide by your assertion that Moreau is a conspirator? I abide by it, General. And those fifty assassins whom the royalists have sent are in Paris? Yes, General, they are in Paris, and Georget and Pijagot are their heads. Fouché, cried Bonaparte, clinching his fist and raising it threateningly. Fouché, so sure as God lives, I will have you hanged as a traitor if you have lied. General, as surely as God lives, I have spoken the truth. I came here to show you what I am and what Regna is. I have waited here till the whole nets of these conspiracies should be spread out and be fully complete. The time has come when I must speak, and now I say to you, Jean Roy, take some steps, for there is danger on foot. Bonaparte, trembling with emotion, had thrown himself into an armchair and took, as was his customary moments of the greatest excitement, his penknife from the writing desk and began to whittle on the back of the chair. Fouché stood leaning against the wall and looked with complete calmness and an invisible smile at this singular occupation of the general when the door of the cabinet was opened and the Marmaluke, Roston, appeared at the entrance. Consul, he said softly, Councillor Riel is again here and pressingly desires an audience. Bonaparte rose and threw away the knife. Riel, he cried in a low tone. The man who was summoned immediately appeared at the open door. A tall, grave personage, with a face so pale and distorted that Bonaparte noticed it despite his great agitation. What is it, Riel? he asked eagerly. Have you spoken with a condemned man? Yes, General, I have spoken with him, whispered Riel with pale lips. And it is, as I said, is it not? This Dr. Curol has only pretended to be able to make great disclosures, only to prolong his own life a few hours. He has poisoned his wife in order to marry his mistress, and the poisoner is executed. Jean-Roll, cried Fouché, almost with an air of joy. I knew Curol, and I knew that his wife poisoned herself. Curol is not the poisoner. What is he then, Monsieur Omniscience? Jean-Roll, he is a conspirator. A conspirator, repeated Bonaparte, and now his troubled face turned again to the councillor. Real, what do you know? What did the condemned man say to you? Consul, he swore that he was innocent of the death of his wife, but he acknowledged himself a member of a conspiracy, the object of which is to murder General Bonaparte. He asserts that the royalists and republicans have allied themselves, that fifty emissaries of the Count de Lille and Duc d'Anjon, Pichugru and Georges at their head have crept into Paris. 
that they had an interview yesterday with General Moreau and with the so-called Louis Seventeenth, who is secreted in Paris, and that at this hour those fifty men are prowling around the streets of the city and are watching the Tuileries, waiting for an opportunity to kill the First Consul. The troubled eye of Bonaparte turned slowly from the pale face of Councillor Rial to the calm, sagacious face of Fouché, which guarded itself well from expressing any token of triumph and satisfaction. The consul then walked slowly through the room and with his foot pushed open the door leading into the great reception room, in which at this hour every day all the dignitaries of the Republic were assembled to receive the orders of Bonaparte. Murat! cried Bonaparte loudly, and at once the person summoned, General Murat, at that time Governor of Paris, appeared at the door of the cabinet. Murat, said Bonaparte in tones which he issued his commands in on the battlefield, give orders at once that the gates of Paris be closed and that no stranger be allowed to go out of the city till you have further orders. You will come to me in an hour and receive a proclamation to your soldiers, which you will sign. Have it printed and posted at the street corners of Paris. Make all these preparations. Go! Murat withdrew from the room with a salutation of deference, and now the commanding voice of Bonaparte summoned his chief adjutant from the reception room. Duroc, said the first consul with calm, almost solemn voice, you will go with twelve soldiers in pursuit of General Moreau and arrest him wherever you find him. The noble, open face of Duroc grew pale and put on an expression of horror and amazement. Chandrot, he whispered, I beg that but this time Bonaparte would not listen to the soothing words of his favourite. No replies, he thundered. You have only to obey. Nothing more. Duroc, pale and agitated, withdrew, and Bonaparte closed the door of the cabinet. Royal, he said, return to the prison of the condemned man. Take him his pardon and bring him to me, that I may hear him myself. Hasten. Royal withdrew, and Bonaparte and Fouché remained alone. You have given your proofs, Fouché, and now I believe you. When walls are to be hunted down, you are a good bloodhound, and we will begin the chase. I make you from this moment chief of the secret police. Your first duty will be to bring this matter to an end and help me to tear to pieces the whole murderous web, your reward being that I will nominate you again Minister of Police. Footnote. The appointment of Fouché as the chief of police took place in June of the year 1804. I will fulfil my promise so soon as you shall have made good yours and put me in possession of the chief conspirators. You have just arrested Moreau, General, replied Fouché deferentially. I give you my word that in a few hours Pichereux and Georget will be apprehended. You forget the chief person, cried Bonaparte, over whose brazen forehead a thundercloud seemed to pass. You forget the caricature of buried royalty, the so-called King Louis the Seventeenth. Hush! I tell you, I will have this man. I will draw out the fangs of this royal adder so that he cannot bite any more. Bring the man before me. The Republic is an angry goddess and demands a royal offering. Give this imposter into my hands or something worse will happen. Go, and I advise you to bring me, before the sun goes down, the tidings that this fabled King Louis is arrested, or the son of your good fortunes is set forever. Now away. Go out through the little corridor and then through the secret gate. You know the way. Go. Fouché did not dare to contradict the imperative order, but softly and hastily moved toward the curtain which led to the gloomy anteroom, and thence through a door which only those initiated knew how to open, and which led to the little corridor. 
but scarcely had Fouché entered this little dismal room when a hand was laid upon his arm and a woman's voice whispered to him, I must speak to you at once. Come, this way. The hand drew him forward to the wall. A door sprang open without a sound and the voice whispered, Four stairs down. Be careful. End of chapter 31, part 2 Read by Julie Jackson, Staffordshire, 7th of July, 2021.